going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Turner Valley is known as the birthplace of Alberta's oil and gas industry. On May 14th, 1914, the Digman Discovery Well blew, forever changing Alberta's economic future. For 30 years, the Turner Valley oil field was the largest oil and gas producer in the British Empire. A hop, skip, and a jump away is its sister community, Black Diamond, named after the nearby coal mine that referred to the high-grade oil as Black Diamond. There was actually a dispute over what to name the town. Some believed it would have, it should have been Arnoldville after the local postmaster Arnold. How did they settle that dispute? Drawing a name out of a hat. Of course they did. The two communities now boast a combined population over 5,000 and both want it to be known they are more than just the birthplace of Alberta's key industry. Whether it's a vibrant local art scene, con- uh, conservation and nature efforts, many home-based small businesses, and even some of the renowned restaurants. And even in this beautiful Eau Claire distillery, there is more here than meets the eye. Today, we continue our look at some of the communities outside Calgary city limits. We'll talk to some of the business owners and residents about their successes and their failures. We'll talk about some of the issues they feel are important heading into the provincial election. And we also hope to share a few great stories about what life is like in Turner Valley and Black Diamond. This, my friends, is part two of our Rural Road Show from Eau Claire Distillery here in Turner Valley. And we're going to start the conversation right off the bat with uh, the new mayor of Turner Valley, Barry Crane, as well as Deputy Mayor Ted Bain of Black Diamond. I understand that the two were actually uh, with the previous two mayors, the mayors, when I was having this, this discussion back in January. You guys are kind of like married. So we'll get to that discussion in a second. Uh, also, through the course of the show, like I said, we're going to have some, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of history about it. But here's the interesting thing as I was walk, driving around town earlier today. And I've noticed this about, uh, especially even in any community that I seem to be driving around in, there is no sign war. There is no, hey, this is a really, you could almost argue that no one would know any different that there was an election campaign. Now, there is something different happening here in Turner Valley, and there is a by-election later on this week. We're going to learn a little bit more about that in just a few minutes as well with the mayor and the deputy mayor here in Turner Valley and Black Diamond. We'll also get a sense of, again, the topics du jour when it comes to not only the provincial election, but also um, municipally. And one of the things that maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into this, but when you look at the history of this area politically, provincially, you go back. Wayne Anderson has been the MLA for both Wild Rose and then later on the UCP. Uh, a familiar face to our listeners or familiar voice, Danielle Smith was this riding's uh, MLA for quite a few years there, and George Greneveld. So this is about as Tory blue as you're going to get. That being said, could the tides change? Could the latest news make a big difference? I don't know. Judging by what I'm hearing along the streets, not so much, but... You never know. So we're going to get to the very bottom of some of these conversations here at Eau Claire Distillery here in Turner Valley. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right, let's get into it right now. The new mayor of Turner Valley. I don't know how new this is. This is not very new. Uh, Barry Crane joining us as well as the deputy mayor for Black Diamond, Ted Bain. Uh, Gents, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. 
Guys, uh, let's start with you, Mayor. When it comes to maybe the number one issue, I mean, you guys are, are in the midst of a municipal election to boot, so you're probably hearing all kinds of things, both municipally and provincially. But what do you think is maybe one of the bigger issues that residents here are talking about? Well, I mean, if you're talking locally, um, it, it's just entertaining to listen to all the new candidates. We have six candidates running for the previous council position that I vacated. Um, and we have everything from water to taxes and everything in between, obviously. Mm-hmm. Infrastructure is one of those things that you rarely hear about at the local level, but is so important um, for our community. So uh, provincially, of course, that's what I would speak to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but locally, I think um, taxes and water. We've been on water restrictions for years uh, leading up after the flood. So this year, um, we're looking to be off water restrictions and get back to that healthy, happy, small family feel where uh, you can actually water the lawn and not uh, stress <laughs> out. So. Uh, Deputy Mayor Ted, uh, what, what would you say is number one on the, on the tops of minds of people in Black Diamond? I, I would agree with uh, with Mayor Crane. Uh, the the most important thing that we're concerned with is infrastructure. Uh, a lot of our water mains and sewer mains are desperately in need of repair. We had a sewer main break last fall that re- resulted in a state of local emergency having to be declared. Fortunately, uh, our public works people and our fire department worked through the night to make sure that the raw sewage didn't get into the Sheep River. Uh, so making certain that all of our infrastructure gets repaired, that's very, very important. When dealing with the NDP government over the last four years, I'm curious in, in terms of, especially they've been uh, at the forefront, I think, of, of environmental issues and, and issues that matter, uh, they would say matters that uh, matter to uh, the local residents. How would you grade them in terms of their ability to adapt and to talk to you guys about issues such as, especially something that I think maybe some, we sometimes take for granted in the big city is something like water. Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, the last election was, you know, that turn the light bulb on moment of uh, dissension voting and uh, really just flipped the switch provincially. Um, and that, I think, came as a big shock to the NDP at the time. Uh, of now, now we have the chair, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a bit of a learning curve. Uh, but I think in the last few years, we've really seen a dedication to uh, things like the MSI, uh, Municipal Sustainability Initiative, uh, funding infrastructure. Uh, being extended so that we can get some of those funds and project the projects we're going to do. So I think that they've really um, helped in the last two years. Uh, They got their feet beneath them and they extended out uh, what we were looking for. On other things like um, AEP, um, the uh, Alberta environment, it's been a little harder. That's been a real hard nut uh, to crack. And getting a direct answer out of that particular department's been difficult. Uh, But speaking to water again, we were, I'm going to say it was actually a benefit through the flood in terms of what came out of it for us, getting the regional uh, Shruck water system set up to support Black Diamond, Turner Valley, and the MD. It's been been a really, really good thing for us. Mm One of the things that I've taken away from some of these conversations that I've been having with some of the smaller communities is there seems to be, I don't know if it's a movement or if maybe it's always been in the works, is having the different uh, communities working together no matter which corner of the province you might be in. Speak to your experiences uh, respectively in that realm and being able to communicate with your, uh, I'll call them brothers and sisters across the province that are of similar size and and, uh, demographic. (laughs) 
We, we've cooperated uh, quite a bit with Turner Valley. Black Diamond has uh, several agreements. We share several facilities. We have a, a rink that we share. Uh, there is a library in Turner Valley that has won quite a few awards provincially. It's an excellent library system. Uh, we uh, respond to others' emergency calls. There are quite a few ways that we are cooperating. Mm-hmm. From from across the province as well. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were, I believe, in Edmonton not too long ago, just mm-hmm. talking with uh, some of your other neighbors that might be in the opposite corner of the province to be able to kind of get a sense, I guess, I guess of of some of the things that are are front and center for communities of your size. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about communities of 2,500 to 5,000 people, we get stuck into that small bracket where you don't really have as much money as you wish you did because when you're this close to big cities, everyone wants that box store ease, but it just doesn't exist. I mean, Okotoks is our our mother ship as it comes to the Costco world. People used to say, uh, you know, oh, yes, I'm moving to this fantastic little town. It has a great school. Now people are more prone to say, well, does it have a Costco? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so those things come into play. But, I mean, if you look at our school, for example, in Turner Valley, uh, in the last 10 years, it has doubled in its population. Um, so for me, uh, when I look at who I'm voting for provincially, I think about things like education um, really, really seriously because if we're not building our futures, um, then we're taken away. So, I mean, what are you going to do for your kids? Are you going to build them up or are you going to tear them down? To me, that's a real hot topic issue that people need to know the facts and look into. And I know a lot of people have been talking from that standpoint, especially from a small community aspect, is you got to be able to offer some sort of... Um, uh, options available, especially for high schoolers. When, when you look at that standpoint, is mm-hmm. uh, I know in Nanton they were talking about the idea of you know you can you can bring in some of the the farm kids, but even the kids within the town were thinking of heading over to High River because there were more options available. And so, uh, and especially in a system where the money follows the kids, mm-hmm. if you're not keeping the kids and the young families in your communities. You're going to have those struggles. I think that's a concern with all small towns. Uh, fortunately, we have quite a few uh, facilities that are available to us. Uh, we have a, a excellent hospital. Uh, we, uh, uh, what else do we have? We have an excellent hospital. We have a lot of uh, different stores, mm-hmm. uh, some very well known. When I was up in Edmonton last week, uh, I mentioned that I was from Black Diamond, and someone said to me, well, oh, yeah, I know Black Diamond. That's got that really neat, and I won't mention right. particular <laughs> store, uh, because there are so all many the, nice oh, They're all really That's neat. That's right, they are. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, if you look at uh, yeah. even things like our Oilfield Sports Association, mm-hmm. our, our curling club in Black Diamond, uh, I say ours because I look at the two communities, one, but uh, we have internationally renowned U18, 18, U21 competitors. Um, It is just phenomenal what they've gone on to do. Um, So we have a lot of things, but we really need to look beyond that. We need to look at what's coming in the next five to ten years and what we can build for our kids. My kids are 10 and 12 now, um, and I'm really struggling because 10 years ago when I attended my first forum, um, one of the parents asked, what are you doing for the kids. Mm-hmm. And we have essentially been stalemated, 
Right. And it's 10 years later, we're still in the same pocket. So if we don't start talking about truly building something for our children to keep them around so that they're not escaping to the next province, to the next big city, and they become the next citizens of our community to build on, um, then we're not doing a service to the future generation. So to me, a recplex, something of a partnership uh, regionally, just like everything else right now, regionalization is, is key to getting money and funding and helping the, the younger generations grow. So I think that's where my desire for the next few conversations, and especially when we talk provincially, what are you going to do to help us help our citizens? Because that's what they're there for. We have uh, boys and girls clubs. We, uh, we have girdle guides, uh, boy scouts. We're also building a, a large ball diamond with, uh, with funding partly from the province, partly from uh, the Blue Jays. The mm -hmm. Toronto Blue Jays okay. have donated some money. So there are things that are developing. Let's talk about some of the issues. You alluded to it earlier, Mayor, in terms of uh, education seem to be a big one in, in your eyes, but setting that framework for the future seems to be uh, front and center for you guys. Yeah, I mean, and I can speak to this because we just finished running an election uh, a year ago, and most of Turner Valley's council ran on, you know, we need to trim, we need to make savings, we need to reduce taxes, which sounds fantastic. In practicality, it's a very much different story. To truly do that, it comes with cost, it comes with service level reductions, and what are your citizens willing to take? When I look at this election and I look at uh, Facebook worlds and what information is true, which is mm -hmm. false, where do you go? Well, go to the platforms, look at the platforms. Um, for me, and I said it earlier, education is a big one. Um, I, I think we need to build. We need to build our healthcare system. We need to support those people. Um, they're the same people that are taking care of our kids. They're the same people that are gonna take care of our seniors. Mm -hmm. We have to have a certain standard and we have to keep that. Um, so as Canadians, I think those are very important, uh, broader discussions. Um, on a local level, I'm just gonna throw this out there because I know we're short on time, but um, we have uh, a fantastic community here. Uh, we have our demographic shifting to small families. My neighborhood, we have two new subsections. It's all small families. We have citizens on patrol, uh, volunteer groups with the Millerville area that just knock the ball out of the park when it comes to safety and having a sense of community. So uh, I thank you for having us on the show today. Um, and I totally implore everyone to get out there, get knowledgeable about what you're going to vote for in two weeks, and really think about this because, if anything, this is your time to speak for the next four years. Just before I, I get to some of your answers here, I am curious from both of your standpoints as well. And it's a conversation that I had yesterday uh, talking about how it needs to be more than just one issue. Uh, we're, we've talked about the economy, but and, and I know that that's been a, a focal point for the UCP and many others uh, who think that this needs to be addressed, and I don't disagree at the same time, whether it's health care, whether it is uh, social issues, that kind of thing. Is it possible in your books to be able to uh, tackle all of the issues that we do have here in our province? <laughs> I think it's impossible to tackle all of the issues. Uh, everything comes with a cost. Uh, for example, the cannabis that uh, legislation that's come in, uh, the small towns have borne the brunt of changing bylaws, getting ready for it. The uh, federal government decided that, yes, we'll give 75% of our cannabis revenues to the province with the understanding that it would come down to the municipalities. Unfortunately, the province has yet to make sure that that money is going to come down to us. Yep. So 
all of the different issues, it's all money. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to infrastructure, that was another one that you guys were talking about as well. Is can you give me you know a top three list perhaps, or a couple of big ticket items that really are the four for you guys? Right now, the uh, the West End sewage plant is in need of an upgrade. Uh, the effluent that we're putting into the into the Sheep River, it meets current standards. However, when new standards come online, uh, it's not going to quite meet the standards. We have a $17 million upgrade project that now is up to $18 million, and we haven't got commitment for the 60% that the province is supposed to be kicking in. Right, right. Final note uh, from the mayor. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd totally agree with uh, Ted on this one. Uh, what we're looking at infrastructurally um, is it trumps everything else for us. Uh, roads, transportation, it falls into that bracket. Um, and revenue streams for small towns mm-hmm. is essential to our survival and our ease to, to reduce the burden on our small tax base. Um, we need to have something for uh, small businesses, some form of incentive a revenue stream that we can assist businesses to uh, plant seeds and get into towns. So like you see here, we have a fantastic facility that you're sitting in here mm-hmm. today. Um, we like to see things like this expand uh, and create more jobs. So, um, so that's, that's where I'd be. I appreciate both of your uh, your time. Thank you so much, uh, Turner Valley Mayor Barry Crane, Black Diamond Deputy Mayor Ted Bain. Guys, thanks so much again for joining us here on Calgary today. Thank you. Thank you. When you find your way driving through Highway 22, all the way from Millerville through Turner Valley and Black Diamond and down to Longview, if you ever get a chance to look at the history of that area, it is absolutely incredible and you could go for days on it and we're in a building that has quite a bit of history to it as well and a company that has moved in that has a little bit of history david farron from eau claire distillery here i uh, think a hey, first off thank you for letting us uh, take over your humble abode oh it's great to have you here it's <laughs> lots of fun it has been a lot of fun you gave us uh, as you called it the dime tour earlier <laughs> on but what first off brought you to this area and made you think you know what we could do here a distillery it's a great area, right? It's close to Calgary. It's only really a half hour south, and um, and it has all the history that you want from a, a distilling perspective. And you know, part of that is to to be excited about Alberta, mm-hmm. and uh, and in this area where prohibition was, uh, we have a hill behind us that's still named Whiskey Ridge, and you know there was a road out front that was Whiskey Row, so it's a perfect place for us to be. Talk a little bit about your the, this building in particular, and, and you're walking us through it, but this was initially a theater. Yeah, so the, it's a 1929 theater, one of the first ones in Alberta, and, uh, and it actually operated until 1996, so when they changed to digital, so that mm-hmm. was the end of it. But, um, so it, uh, we still have a lot of the old equipment around, and, and it's been fun to retrofit it, and it had the height that we needed for the distilling towers. Right. Was that the, the ultimate goal at the end of it? Were you just kind of looking to dabble in the idea of being a distillery, or did you have a grand view when you first were thinking about uh, getting into the booze biz? Well, we were the first craft distillery in the province, and so we were dipping our toe a little bit in it because we really didn't know what to expect. Um, and we had no idea we would achieve the success that we have. So, um, so yeah, it started out as a, a small project, and now it's sort of uh, gone wild on us. What has changed for you? What has made it so that you guys are still growing and still having that impact on the community? 
Well, I think we're we've tried to be very innovative, um, and and we're try we we're farm to glass. So um, so in an age where people want to know what the ingredients are, um, how it's made, um, you know, we're full transparency, and I think that appeals to the public. Mm-hmm. And um, and we've really pushed for um, you know some new things. We sell in the U.S., um, which we're excited about, is uh, to be able to export something proudly from Alberta. And um, and we just keep pushing. We don't uh, we don't give up. You mentioned that farm to it's that farm to table mentality. And and how has that kind of revolutionized the way that you do business? In turn, and you mentioned transparency, but in terms of getting that trust with the the consumer. Well, we do a few things that are highly unusual. So um, one of the things is that uh, for special edition whiskeys, we actually farm um, some of our grain, our, our Alberta barley, with horses. So uh, I don't think there's anybody in the world that's doing that. And if you ask me whether that's... You said, what, 45 acres worth? Like 45 that's, It's acres, not just yeah. a small plot by any stretch. No, it's a lot of work. I think last year we had about 230 volunteers and about 60 horses participate. Mm-hmm. Is it economic? No, but uh, we obviously still have to use uh, regular grain, but it's a really fun part of recreating Alberta history. A lot of people talk about the the downturn and the economy and that kind of thing, and yet here you are talking. Uh, when you took us for the tour, you showed us your expansion plans and that, and I'm curious, what have you done to try to make sure that you're staying on top of things and that you are not falling by the wayside like some others would? Well, I mean, when you're building a whiskey distillery, it's um, you you do have to project a long way ahead, right? Because we're not, uh, um, you know, we can't even call it whiskey until it's three years old. So, so we know that we have to, while we're waiting for that whiskey to mature, and uh, and we've got to build our markets because when it comes, then uh, that we have to have a ready-made market. So. We've really pushed um, to find new places. Canada is not the greatest place to do business. We, uh, um, other provinces have interprovincial trade barriers, so it's easier for us to go south to the U.S. Right. than it is to sell to our neighbors, which is very sad, but yeah. true. It's an interesting side note on all of it. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us, and, and again, thank you for letting us take over your abode for a little while here. Well, thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR Live in Turner Valley. All right, we are approaching 443 now, and as I mentioned off the top, Turner Valley, known as the birthplace of Alberta's oil and gas industry, because back on May 14th of 1914, the Dingman Discovery Well blew, forever changing Alberta's economic future, and the Turner Valley oil field became the largest oil and gas producer in the British Empire for over 30 years. Uh, David Finch joining us now. He's an author and historian, and uh, thank you so much for the time today, David. You bet. Glad to be with you. Give us a little bit more color on the Dingman discovery in particular and and what exactly that led to. Well, it was a pretty amazing discovery. Uh, some of the big names in, in Alberta and in Calgary at the time in May in 1912. So R.B. Bennett, uh, Sir S- Senator James Lougheed, uh, some of the founders of the Calgary Stampede, they all put money together and they made a, uh, put together, uh, created a company called Calgary Petroleum Products. And this, this company, it drilled a well and its first well was a success and its second well was a success and its third well was a success. 
process. It was just amazing, just so lucky. Uh, up until then, all the oil that had been used in Alberta had to be imported from somewhere else, and so it was a it was a boom. The first one in fourteen, and then another another one in nineteen twenty four to twenty nine, and another one from nineteen thirty six to the end of nineteen forty five. And you know, all those big office towers in downtown Calgary, they're all here because of Turner Valley. I mean, Turner Valley is now a small field compared to the ones that came after, but it was the it was the oil field not just for alberta it was the western canada's first commercial oil field so big stuff yeah and, and it was known on the world stage as well i mean the entire british empire had taken notice of this place and was looking to make it uh sort of its own it, it, they knew they needed it exactly because the first world war uh, was fought mostly with with uh, with coal for its ships and so on and when the second world war came along uh, they knew that airplanes and tanks and you know you, you just can't you can't shovel a lot of coal into an airplane uh, we, we knew the people at the time knew that they they would they would need to have petroleum and its its products when Winston Churchill was here in Alberta in 1929 he went out and looked at that oil field and invested Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the wrong wells, but uh, he he could he could see that the that the British Empire and its its ability to to be strong in the world and to fight wars when necessary would be dependent on on petroleum, and so he personally was also very interested in Turner Valley. What amazed me is during that same time frame, you had the coal industry that was uh, that was very boom and bust. I mean, there was a lot of towns that were, there were a lot of towns that were created based off of the the coal mining industry. You look, uh, especially in the Drumheller River Valley or the River Valley along Drumheller, that area. But a lot of to- towns ended up dying off. Whereas the towns that were created around the oil and gas industry, particularly here around uh, Turner Valley and Black Diamond, they stayed uh, alive and kicking for a long, long time. Well, they did, but. A long time vis-a-vis the oil industry, but most of the, I mean, at one time, both Turner Valley and, and Black and uh, Black Diamond were much larger than they are now, and Longview was bigger, and there were mm-hmm. probably three times as many people living in that whole area during the really big boom from 36 to 45. But what was neat about that was people would come from other parts of Canada and bring their skills to the Turner Valley oil field and then learn more skills. And then when Leduc boomed up by Edmonton, a lot of Turner Valley uh, experts went there and they went other places in the world. So um, the booms and the busts, which have been almost every decade since since the discovery in 1914, uh, you know, if you're an oil man, you need to uh, have the staying power to get through to the next boom because uh, it, the world price of oil or lack of pipelines to markets or the Americans or the Chinese or Ottawa or whoever, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's always these twists and turns along the way. And so if you're going to be an oil man, you have to have a long, long perspective. I wanted to ask one more question, and that being about little New York and little Chicago. This area is rich just in terms of there were some thoughts back in the day that these would be uh, communities down the road that were going to be looked at much like little New York, little Chicago. Well, those those communities at the South End were interesting because they were part of the boom uh, that started in 1936. And of course, when you've got lots of wells drilling, people just flock in there. And the only one that remains is the one now called Longview. It's, it was then called Little New York. The one up on top of the hill that was just as big was called Little Chicago. Got its name from uh, a guy there who had a, had a shop 
and he was charged outrageous prices for the stuff in his shop. And so somebody said, who are you, Al Capone? Because <laughs> <laughs> their prices were so high. So that's how the top one, the one on top of the hill got named Little Chicago, and then the one below got named Little New York. But, uh, no, they were, they were going to be big, big time, um, uh, cities. And, uh, when the oil industry moved on, the one up on top of the hill pretty well evaporated. But the one, mm-hmm. one down below, which is, uh, we know really for, for ranching and for the fact that Ian Tyson sometimes shows up at the bar there on a Saturday night to play guitar or at least to, to watch other people do that. Um, yeah, the, the oil industry in that part of Alberta extends from Millerville in the north to, to Longview in the south. And, uh, yeah, if people want to know, uh, you know, if, if you're getting thirsty, I'd highly recommend people stop by that Eau Claire distillery because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're distilling some pretty good stuff there in a building that was built in 1927 <laughs> during one of the booms. It was built as a theater, and uh, over the years it was a community center and lots of other things. Uh, so, yeah, go by and see Dave and the crowd and and and, and uh, tell them I sent you and uh, put a pint on my uh, uh, on my tab. Oops, oh, no, a not tab a pint. Over Maybe here. just a taster. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is uh, that is awesome, David Finch. Thank you so much for the time today. You bet. Uh, yeah, that is, it's uh, it's a fantastic venture out here. Uh, such a small town feel here. The Rural Roadshow rolls on. We are in Turner Valley today after being in Nanton last week. And we'll wrap things up as we look at uh, some of the issues surrounding our city in Airdrie on next week. Uh, to give, a, And it's been fascinating how it all worked out. But we ended up going from a, a really small community like Nanton to one of the, I would call it a medium size because it's, Two communities in one, in a sense, with Turner Valley and Black Diamond and then Airdrie, uh, growing leaps and bounds. So we'll get more on that next week. But I wanted to get a gauge of what he's hearing, what he's seeing. Uh, Lowell Harder, the editor at the High Country News. Lowell, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I know you get a little bit of a look-see at what businesses are talking about, what the community is talking about, and you guys get all everything. You get some of the good news, some of the bad news, a little bit of everything. Um, let's start with the business side of things here, and, and what is the, the atmosphere like here? What are they saying as they approach you guys? I think businesses are always uh, try to have a positive spin. There's a lot of mom and pop businesses out here, and so they're always hopeful. They've got a lot of heart and soul invested into their their what they're doing, and so they want to to have a good positive outlook. But at the same time, there's always the struggles of of the various things that are impacting the economy today. So they they have a on one hand a good positive outlook of like yeah this is going to make this we're going to make this work, and then the the end of the month comes and it's it gets a little bit tight. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think there's that I always it's funny the first thing that I or first time I mentioned it I said it was a chip on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's a good chip. It's not one of those oh I'm going to be mean about things but it's like hey, you know what it might be tough but we can we'll battle through it. We battled through it before. Um but there's been a lot of things that have stacked up on some of these small businesses who uh you know like you said they're mom and pop so it's all of a sudden hey a minimum wage comes into effect. Hey, a carbon tax comes into effect and these are costs that they weren't thinking about five, ten years ago. 
Yeah, I think it's it's uh, those small margin increases that we don't really think about as a as a huge impact overall. But as they begin to add up, and when you're operating on small percentage profits, they uh, you know minimum wage jumping by to the fifteen dollar an hour, uh, that has a huge impact on just the the cost to keep your you know your employees there. Uh, you know some of the the overtime. Uh, Laws or the labor laws in that sense of, of what you're paying in overtime. Uh, just even in the source deductions, all those small increases have been a challenge. And now, you know, with the added uh, carbon tax, I mean, I've seen it in my small business of the, the cost to, to, you know, go get things distributed and, and uh, just get to and from what you've got to do. It, mm-hmm. uh, it all adds up. So. One of the things, too, especially in this neck of the woods, and I mentioned it uh, when it comes to the Highway 22 corridor, is you've got all these beautiful communities, and they almost depend on that weekend traveler to come through. And when times are tough, people are a little more hesitant to come through or to take a drive because, like you mentioned, you know, the gas costs, all these costs come through. And so uh, just a little bit of a, a trickling down of, of the number of visitors is going to have that impact as well. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's, uh, I think the, the shoulder seasons, uh, in the, that Highway 22 corridor, uh, always have an impact and businesses are always trying to find creative ways to, to find how they can attract, uh, the Calgary traffic, the Calgary market, but also their local, local market to come and, and support them in, in those, uh, leaner months. One of the things, too, we were talking uh, during the major news there, and uh, one of the cool things that I, I like about what you guys do is that you have that uh, the community feel to the, the paper as well. And, and talk a little about that uh, the need and the desire and, and also the help that you guys get from the community in terms of uh, turning, a, turning a, a spotlight on your own communities. Yeah, well, we've, uh, well, the paper, my philosophy is give something, get, you know, get to read and people will read it. And, you know, people like good news. Uh, people like a, a happy story. They like to see themselves. They like to see, hear about their neighbors. I don't know if it's just that old innate <laughs> desire to gossip. But uh, so we like to try and draw out uh, different community groups uh, to uh, write their story and then they submit it to us and then we publish it and without a whole lot of editing. And so we, we love hearing from, you know, whether it be the local 4-H club or the, the libraries or whatever the, the programs that they're doing, the local schools. And, uh, you know, it creates a good positive feel. It draws community together. And I think that's really important, uh, you know, to be able to keep a community together and this is a one of the ways that uh, we can help do that it's a really interesting area here too because you have two communities that are stones throw away from each other and so as weird as you'd think that i always look back at the 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 simpsons thing with uh shelbyville and springfield right it's like they're they're bitter uh, enemies and yet these two communities from all intents and purposes maybe i miss being misdirected here but they seem like best friends almost Oh yeah, they they work together. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, events that are uh, uh, both communities are participating in equally, and and I think it's great. They have the the parade there in the summertime and uh, car show, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, lots of uh, lots of participation from both communities. So yeah, it's 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 neat to see, uh, but I don't think they want to join. <laughs> as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Lowell, thanks so much for joining us and giving us a little bit of a snapshot there and what you're seeing uh, from the ground level here. Um, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, everybody, uh, people move out to small communities to be 
a part of a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at the end of the day, all the bad news and all the, the difficult times, the, the communities uh, and small communities survive because they are a community. And, and so they, they stick it out uh, through the good times, through the bad times, and, and uh, they, they enjoy one another and greet one another with a smile on their face. So. Mm-hmm. Lowell Harder, the editor at the High Country News, uh, here on Calgary Today, 770 CHQR. Joining us now from Blue uh, Blue Rock Gallery, owner Tarek Numer. Uh, Tarek, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Joe. Uh, talk a little bit about you coming to Canada first and foremost, and what when did you uh, arrive here? Yeah, well, I left Syria. Uh, I'm a Syrian refugee. I left Syria in 2013 when the war was a bit um, in its in its um, most, uh, I would say, difficult situation. I left to Jordan, and in Jordan I met someone who is the CEO of um, Humanology, which is a Calgary-based organization. Okay. Um, they met me, and um, they sponsored me to come to Canada. After, of course, um, long conversation, I was the only person that they sponsored, which was really f- flattering, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. So I came to Canada in um, 2017, in April, and... Um, as they introduced me to a lot of people in their circle, and those people I was really lucky to be introduced to because one of those people was um, the previous owners of Blue Rock Gallery. Oh, okay. And um, I worked with them for a while, and they offered me to, um, after six months of working with them, I, the plan was to go to university, and I applied to U of A and got accepted in U of A. Yeah. Um, but the plan got changed as they... They were usually planning, do. <laughs> yeah. And they were planning to sell the gallery, and they said that they see the capacity in me to be the next owner. So I thought about it a lot, and then I decided that, yes, it's something that I can imagine and cannot imagine at the same time. Right. Because of all areas in Canada, if, I, if you would give me a map and say, where you will do locate in Canada when I was back home, I would never think that I would locate in a very wonderful small town, mm-hmm. which is in Valley and Black Diamond. Um, yeah, I would maybe think about bigger cities, as everyone that's coming from faraway places will say. You know, I'll right. go to Toronto or mm-hmm. I'll go to Montreal or something. But I landed in a wonderful place. I fell in love with the landscape, and um, I fell in love with the art that we have at the gallery, which is mostly land, which has the landscape of Alberta and all Albertan artists and local art. Mm-hmm. So now I'm the owner of Blue Lock Gallery, starting at January first, two thousand. 19, and um, yeah, I cannot be happier. <laughs> Talk a little bit about uh, that transition, and was this something that uh, you always had in your mind even back home in Syria, was the idea of moving somewhere free? Like, when did that idea first come to fruition? And then beyond that, have you always been uh, kind of business savvy, somebody who thought you know, entrepreneurially as you have? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. I started working when I was 13 years old as a hawker, oh, selling really? socks on the side of the road. Yeah. So that was my first business, which was total failure, but it was a business at yeah. the end of the day. That's how you <laughs> learn. And um, I continued doing business when I was 16 years old. I owned a store in Syria. And then um, after that, the war started, so the store got burned, sadly. And then I moved to Jordan, and you're not really allowed to own anything if you're a refugee in Jordan. Oh, okay. But I was also managing a big business in Jordan. Um, so when I came here, yes, I, I, I was very enthusiastic about the idea of owning a business. I did not imagine that it would be our art gallery, but you can learn anything really. And um, as I told you, I was planning to go to university, but university is not going anywhere. Right. Where this chance and this is wonderful place might go somewhere. And um, there was a rumor or people thought that the gallery is closing and they were terrified. And so was I. 
So the idea of saving the gallery、um, was really a wonderful thing to do. Were you always interested in art, or was that something that became a bit of acquired taste, and you came to love it through your interactions here? Yeah, I became to、um, love it through interactions here. Not because I I didn't like art before, but、mm-hmm. because our lives. I mean. 18 years of my life, we didn't really have time to do that. It was、right. war, war, war. So、yeah. it wasn't really an easy life that you can really b- have a lot of art. Or、mm-hmm. and the art education back home is not as good as here. Maybe、right. I can say that. Yeah. When you look at Canada, what did the first thought that came through your mind when you mentioned that you had this opportunity to be sponsored in that? What was the first thing that came to mind? And then beyond that is when you got here, did it meet the expectations? That you had in your head when you first were given that possible opportunity. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of ideas in my mind, and the expectations went above and beyond when it comes to Canada. I did not imagine that it would be this wonderful,、mm-hmm. um, because when you live back where I was living, it's really you're not really exposed to a lot of things. You are you don't have your full freedom. You have to think ten times before doing anything.、Right. So when you come here and you have a chance to do anything you want, you really Um, it's overwhelming, and it's wonderfully overwhelming. Take us back to Syria, and what was life like in the year prior to you escaping and getting out of a war zone? Well,、um, maybe the last memories that I recall is maybe going to school where there are、um, sometimes bodies on the floor, sometimes bullets, sometimes blood. Depends on the day and how bad that fight was the previous day.、Um, of course, all the burnt places, all the Smells of bodies and whatnot. So it, it wasn't really a good picture that I would like to remember a lot.、Mm. But thank you for that. It's all right. <laughs>、um, At least you got your sense of haha、yes, still with yes, you. I appreciate absolutely. that. No, thank you.、Um, as, that's as far as I can remember. There was always fear. There was always a possibility that you might something might happen. You have, whenever you leave home to somewhere, you have to say goodbye to your family in one way or、right. another because you might not come back.、Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, and and forgive me if I'm overstepping any、no. boundaries on this, is so with. Family back home. Were you able to sponsor them to come back, or how was how was that process worked out? No, family's all back home still.、Okay. Um, I I I wasn't able, or I would say the idea did not come up yet. Right.、Um, the fact that I was here alone maybe helped me to、um, integrate faster.、Mm-hmm. I don't know.、Um, but also, they not necessarily want to come, which、right. is very interesting. That you get used to the war,、mm-hmm. you get used to a lot of things, including the war. Like I remember a phone call with my father telling me. Don't come by 19th Street. Come by First Street and bring bread with you because they are fighting. They are shooting. Right. So you get used to it, and I think also the idea of integrating when you are in your above 40 or 50, it's a bit daunting comparing to when you are 18 or 20 or whatever. Right. So from that standpoint, then、uh, how have you felt in terms of your ability to to come to Canada and and the、uh, I, I call it the land of opportunity is probably how you personify Canada. Then. Yeah. Well,、um, I felt wonderful. I mean, I was preparing. Myself, my language was goodish when I first got here,、um, but also I cannot deny that I was lucky that I lived in an English-speaking house when I first arrived here.、Um, yeah, I, I sort of saw it as a big opportunity. I was overwhelmed with the ideas that I can do and、um, the business that I can pursue. I can do a lot of things, and until now, I own a business. And in my mind, I'm thinking about a lot of other things I can、mm-hmm. do, and maybe that's coming from. Um, an area behind where I couldn't do anything back home. So yeah, I understand, and I I think that a lot of people take for granted that what they have here, and、mm-hmm. they and 
a lot of people doesn't have what they have. Right. No, and, and it's and that's the the next point that I was going to get to as we wrap things up here is uh, taking it for granted in that it sounds as though you're trying to take advantage of every opportunity that's been given to you. So you're only 24. You probably still have a few more hopes and dreams down the line. I'm curious, what do you see in the next decade or two that you would love to accomplish, uh, maybe beyond or above the uh, the Blue Rock Gallery? Yeah. Well, first I want to say that by me saying people take for granted their peaceful and their freedom it's something that they should take for granted mm-hmm. to some degree because we no, no 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 person should live in an area with a war right it's your right to live in a peaceful place mm-hmm. so i just want to make that clear yep. and second i want to say that in um in the future i'm not really sure it's just that I, I'm, I'm still i'm not believing that i'm in canada to believe that i'm a business owner right. to think about the future uh, the idea of going to university is still on my mind but you know university is not going anywhere you can always mm-hmm. study um, but now I'll focus on my business and I'll make sure that this business keep thriving as the previous owner were um, headed. And um, yeah, that's what I'm, what's on my mind right now. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who have said a lot of really, really great things about Blue Rock Gallery from across this province. And so, uh, and when I read your story and heard about it, I was like, I got to get Tarek on. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, we were able to get it done. So I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me, Joe. Tarek Numer is the owner of uh, Blue Rock Gallery here uh, in the Turner Valley Black Diamond area. Again, uh, a great story and a little bit of context as well for you. Here to wrap up the show as we are here at uh, the Eau Claire Distillery in Turner Valley for the Rural Road Show here on Calgary Today. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.